friends! Welcome to episode 144 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, I'm full. We're full. Dinner was good. We're happy. We got the tea kettle on. Yes. We're ready to talk some gaming. Indeed. Greetings, by the way, from uh, Detroit, Michigan, United States here, where the snowpocalypse is happening outside. Yeah, I mean, it it probably is happening right now. Like, earlier, it was just, like, a, I guess, like, a, a wet dusting. And now it's, like, sloppy, nasty, getting fluff on top of it. So. Yeah, last night it was raining a little bit because it hit 40 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then it, it started raining slush this morning. Mm-hmm. And it, then it just turned into full-out snow. And yeah. so there's what, about three inches or about uh, six or seven centimeters out there right now. And Yeah, about that, about that, I would say. Um, hopefully, hopefully this uh, that, that you have a safe drive back uh, and that everyone else is staying safe and warm and just listening to our podcast. But hey, we got internet today. But we do. We do have internet <laughs> today. And if we lose power, I have a generator outside and, and the batteries will start beeping at us. So, so we've, got, uh, we've got some small blessings here. Small so. blessings, small blessings. So... So this is our second month in uh-huh. on our 101 series. So it's the first Wednesday of the month, which we're doing our 101 series. We started last month with uh, inspiration and ideas for campaign, and we're stepping through that and now talking about concept to campaign. Right. So what do you do in the in-between steps, basically? You've got a great idea, but how do you turn that into something you can pitch to your friends and be like, hey, I've got a great idea for a campaign. We're going to be using this system. Yep. We're going to play these types of characters, and we're going to tell this type of story with it. Yeah, so kind of building on what we started last week with with the, with the first 101 is that, you know, if you got an inspiration, that's great. You can use homebrew or pregen and kind of flex upon that a little bit. Um, if you're going after using something as existing source material like you did with Tamriel, mm-hmm. um, you know, be mindful of what you're extracting that the players will actually have contact with. Yep. You know, yep. K- kind of keep your focus tight on that and, and keep the feel of the world. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're when we talk about sandboxing with players, we're talking about giving them that agency. Writing something that is a full-on plan for them is not. Right, right. You know, so that's one of the things. Just just keep that in mind as you're doing things. And, and don't change away from doing hard moves. Those are okay. Mm-hmm. Changes happen, but don't railroad it. Don't yes. don't have a railroad planned in your mind. And I think that's what steps a little more into concept and campaign because now you're putting some of that down on paper and making some hard decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're actually starting to commit commit to some ideas. You're committing to a game system in yeah. this step as well. Yeah, uh, and you're you're gathering your friends to your table. So uh, yeah. this is basically that the next step immediately after this, after what we're going to discuss here, is basically your session zero. Yeah, yeah. You know? This this is the prep for that. This, in, I would say, in some ways includes a little bit of Session Zero, but for the most part gets you prepared for it. Yes. Um, for me, which is interesting, was uh, I started going back over the idea for Savage Seas mm-hmm. uh, and taking the Seventh Sea setting and slapping it into uh, the Savage World uh, rule set. Um, and you were kind enough to find something, I believe, on Drive-Thru RPG yes. uh, that was effectively like the Three Musketeers mm-hmm. in Savage World, which inherently is a lot of 7C. Oh, it's yeah. very swashbuckly. Yeah. And there was a lot of really good 
uh, notes and uh, pieces they did. In fact, uh, one of the highlights of Seventh Sea that we both kind of think are neat is the uh, the idea of sword schools and having mm-hmm. custom ways to to make attacks and things. And they had done a really beautiful job of not only explaining it but making it work within the system very effectively. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it it looked like a really good jump point, and it, it probably will be for me. But it. But this past weekend, I had another moment of inspiration, which often happens when uh-huh. you're working on a campaign. And my brain went, why am I making this so challenging? Why am I writing so much? And I literally just set that idea to the side and create, took up this new idea, wrote it, and was more excited about it. Uh-huh. It isn't a complete change for my plot, but it is a in the sense that, you know, of what I wanted to achieve and how I wanted to feel like 7C... But it's a complete departure from my normal writing. It's a step kind of down for me. Okay. Um, okay. In the sense that I tend to almost write in a, no- a novella kind of way. Mm-hmm. I plan everything out in as far as my, my world of the players involved and make them very detailed. In this, I did something different. And okay. I, I, it's, it's just one point that I'm going to put in about the inspiration is... Don't write the future. Write the past. Yeah. And create an event that starts everything. Yep. And I think that's one thing that I that I didn't think about. Mm-hmm. Is that you can have as much past as you want, but really the players are in the present. And that's when the events start, and that's where their agency starts. Yes. So I rewrote based upon that, and I really liked it. Good. And it felt really good to good. be able to write something simple because, again, I'm not writing for the future. I'm writing for the now. See, that's that's a lot closer to how I write. Yeah. Is I write a setup in a situation and then I just let you guys go, you know. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's actually a, a, quest, a really good question that we received uh, from someone that we'll discuss later about how to write mm-hmm. a sequence of events and such like that. Yeah. I think it was Hulavu, yeah. um, one of our Patreons. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll get to my answer yeah. on that yep. one in a little yep. bit, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear you had this great stroke of inspiration. No, it, and... and it felt really good, and it actually, it, it tying into this week's uh, um, 101, was that I had that feeling that maybe I wanted to not do it in savage world that maybe i would use um uh mouse guards burning wheel Mm -hmm. because i i was concerned about tactics and having that muddle up with a story that i want to tell yep and uh we'll kind of get break that down when we get to the system sections of this of of how that can really feel um and you made some really great points when we talked about it Mm -hmm. uh, which is great and that's another big thing that we're always going to say is bounce your your thoughts off of other people. Oh, absolutely. Always. Absolutely. Especially your players. Hell, join our Discord. Bounce them off us. Oh, God, yeah. If you're scared that you don't want to, like, reveal something, pff, join the Discord. Start yep. bouncing ideas. Yep. So. There's there's not not only us, but a, a, a great many other good storytellers on there. Yes. Who are... Uh, who love to read plots. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. That's so. probably our, our most lively channel is our, our um, story discussion one. God, I hope so, because we're yeah. called Storyteller Conclave, for <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so uh, you've got a you've got a great idea for a campaign. We do. Now what? All right. So at this point, you need to kind of meld three things together. Yes. Okay? You need a system to play that story in. Mm-hmm. You need the story itself, and you need players to play in it. Yeah. All right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this right at the beginning. When we use the word story, we're using it lightly. Very lightly at this yes. point. Okay, right. we've yes. got an idea, and we'll we'll get to what that story shapes up to be at this point. What but it really not, means. Not thinking 
on high levels at this point at all. Okay, Correct. we're not thinking of you know intricate character interactions. We're not car- like wondering what's going to ha- how many game sessions it's going to just. We're not even talking about encounters. Just right. sh- scrap all that. Just, right. The story is an encompassing word speaking to the plot of the adventure. Yes. So. All right. So. Uh, systems. First, we're talking about systems. Yeah. Um, and immediately, I think one of the big things that I that I see uh, as, as a big hurdle when people are going for systems is uh, what I am calling the everything is D&D problem. <laughs> um, now, the everything is D&D problem is essentially that D&D is arguably the most popular tabletop role-playing game um, in existence, honestly. And with the recent swell of things like Critical Role and such like that, um, it's only becoming more mainstream. It's only becoming more popular and such like that. So it's typically the first thing people reach for when they're thinking of a, of running a new story. Yeah, I mean, we do. It's, sure. It's what's accessible. Sure, it's, it's what I ran Tamriel in, you know, for the first 20 game sessions. Yeah, I mean, I I would say, argue, you know, like you said, arguably in America, it's a word, it's a household word now and has been for, I would say, decades. Um, the problem is, is that it is a hammer. And everything is not nails in the storytelling world. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's it's a good system, but it is not the best system for everything. And depending yeah. on what type of story you're trying to tell, it may not even be top five. Yeah. On, honestly, it, it very much might not be in the top five. Um, and the other problem that you run is D&D as a system isn't totally setting agnostic. And that right. presents a whole nother list of, of issues. Right. It is a right. good fantasy, high fantasy. High fantasy, high combat, tactical game yep. where most problems are going to be solved by deleting the HP pool of the thing that is causing the problem. And the the life to death ratio of the players is in favor of heroism. Yes. Not not fear, not concern. Um this is the, the brash actions exist and the other thing that we we kind of discussed with that is that it is not necessarily a very good system for any kind of politics or social dancing um now there are some new uh new books that have just recently come out um i actually haven't gotten a chance to review um all the social stuff in it but there's quite a bit in there and Mm -hmm. i i think you you could you could say that they're doing some things to make adjustments to that sure sure um but for the whole for the whole of it, your character class, every single level, gets more ways to delete the HP of someone else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like that's the primary draw. If you cannot delete HP from something, you're kind of useless for fifty percent of of what D and D is or more. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the, the the fact that ninety eight percent of the character ability, the class abilities you're going to be receiving, um are going to be combat based. You know, like you use the hammer and nail analogy earlier. It's 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 giving you a box full of very shiny different shaped hammers and every problem starts looking like a nail. Correct. Then, you know. Yeah. So it's not that it's necessarily bad at social stuff. It's just I would say the social stuff is maybe a little underdeveloped in the rule system and you may need a different hammer or cap on your hammer. But there's but there well but there's nothing else right. to support it. Correct. You've got skills like persuasion and intimidate mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. But 
there's really very few feats that support that sort of sort of game style. There's there's very few class abilities that support that game style. Pretty much everything is more efficient and fun different ways to kill things. Um, and so if you're trying to run a game where your the focus isn't going to be killing things, D and D may not be your best grab. And we're not saying that it that be, you know that D and D may not be a good solution for it uh, because it's not you know dwarves and elves and orcs firing magic. Remember, we're talking about high fantasy, and high fantasy. If we if you go back a few conversations with us um, to uh, to where we were talking about settings. High fantasy is just saying that there is magic and swords and wizards and this illusion of understanding. It is not tech. So, yeah, it will work fine for something like Star Wars. There's no reason it isn't because that is high fantasy. You have wizards with laser swords and monstrous friends who speak in other languages. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, there you go. You could do it in a steampunk as well. There are plenty of steampunk settings for D&D. So, realistically, it's just a matter of the feel of high fantasy plus tactical. Right. So, anyways, we've kind of belabored the point of D&D and why yeah. it's not not why it's not why it's the, the best for every situation. But uh, the, the converse to that is that there are systems out there that are that do specialize in varied other situations. Sorry, I'm only laughing because I think the theme of 2022 for Storyteller Conclave is not everything should be played with D&D. Because <laughs> we it's, keep coming back to It's really that. shaping up to be that. <sighs> we're not, D&D, please don't not sponsor us, but we're just putting it out there that there are other systems. <laughs> there, there, there are, there are. And I think it's one of, one of the main goals from the very beginning of the show was to be system agnostic because we didn't want to cater to just D&D. And, and because we're sipping tea, I'm going to have to throw a spiffing Brett moment in here. <laughs> if we ever want to get sponsored, Savage World, we'd love to have you. <laughs> right, right. Pinnacle Entertainment, if you're listening. Yes. Um, Anywho. Uh, but anyhow, uh, there there are a lot of other great systems out mm -hmm. there. So, like, if you're trying to run a cosmic horror story. Yeah. Um, inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, I mean, I got great news for you. There's Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. There's Dread. Yeah, if you want to go real simple. There's Alien. You could totally use Alien. You, you could know? totally use Alien. Uh, there's, there's a lot of good systems. Even if you are kind of homebrewing it from the side, you know, mm -hmm. you, there's still systems that cater towards um, those play styles. And the Alien one would actually be a great Lovecraftian in space setting because or, or, or system because it also speaks to all of the corporations and that kind of logistic work where you have these shadowy groups yep. who are doing things kind of in the open. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, we say all that. We say, hey, you don't have to use D&D. &D. But, and this is kind of where the everything is D&D &D problem comes in. Get a new system sounds really easy on paper, but mm -hmm. it, it depends largely upon your players being willing to give that system a try. Um, I've read several... I, uh, I, I subscribe to several of the D&D the, the &D related subreddits on Reddit, and um, I've seen this discussion happen time and time again, where players or storytellers will go on there and say, um, I'm trying to tell this type of story, and I'm having problems using D&D &D for telling that story. <laughs> And someone inevitably replies, not usually me, mm -hmm. uh, believe it or not, I'm pretty chill about this, but uh, uh, someone usually replies, you know, there's other game systems that do that better. Maybe look for that. And that DM comes back and says, I tried that, but my players are unwilling to learn a different system than D&D. &D. Yeah, and 
I honestly think that's its own show, just the breakdown of how to help players get into a new system, how to get a new system accepted by your group, um, and and some tips on how to um, make it comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we've definitely done it a few times. We've played different systems with people. I think your Savage World one most recently was probably the best transition we've had. It was on I'm, anybody's I'm still system. gobsmacked at yeah. how smooth that transition was. Well, I'm not. We've had decades of experience. You you did the right things. Eh, okay, they're just it's there. I that's, mean, that's fair. Yeah, Ex- except that you're a good person and you got some talents. Darn diamond hands. <laughs> Anyways, um, so that being said, is that you're gonna get some pushback, especially if your table has been doing D, but if it's if it's time for a transition sometimes that's not a bad idea yeah yeah um the things to things to keep in mind though is that you're not the only one playing the game and learning a new system can be daunting um there are a lot of rules in systems mm-hmm. and unless you're moving to a rules light system like savage world mm-hmm. or wrnm dread something else like that where you can learn the the you know learn the rules for it in five minutes um you may get some pushback on that. You yep. know, if somebody plopped GURPS in front of me and was like, okay, now we're now we're doing this, I'd be like, oh, God, I have to study for finals now, you know? It's like... <laughs> that is kind of true. That's, that's, that's a true. lot of... That's a lot to or, go over. Or, or Palladium you know? in general. Or Palladium in general. There's yeah. just, just a lot to, a lot a lot to of take history. in there. Yeah. So what what makes a system right? And I I think that's the really what you need to break down is... Is there a right? Is there are there a set of factors that help you determine what makes this system right for what you're doing, and that way you can help, you know, come to a consensus even within yourself. Um, I think that one of the big things is accessibility. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Not only for you as the storyteller, but for your players. Now, granted, Drive Through RPG has made that exceptionally easier. Uh, things like D and D Beyond. Um, even yes. the, the yep. suede site has made character creation so much easier for Savage World. Yep. Quick start. Yeah. Quick yeah. start rules for certain systems yeah. that, are, that are paired down pre free PDFs or yeah. heavily discounted PDFs. Yeah. For and a lot of systems. I'll flat out say it. Sometimes the older systems have some cheaper books out there that you can get your hands on for really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I say older, I mean, existing systems, White Wolf, Savage World is very much an existing system. Um, so you, you've got an advantage there as well, that there, there are products that have been out there and that you have some accessibility to it. But that is often a consideration that yeah. I would put out. Um, I think arguably probably the heaviest weighted one sits within familiarity. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the, the big thing about familiarity is that, uh, first off, is the system easy enough for you to understand? Yes. Okay. Easy enough means able to adjudicate the rules smoothly, mm-hmm. or at least understand the spirit of the rules enough that you can make calls on the fly. And that's one of the things I love about Savage World so mm-hmm. much, is it's it's not rules light, it's mechanics light. There's a lot of rules. There's just very few mechanics to adjudicate those rules. Right. And so... I feel very comfortable as a storyteller. I may not know everything there is to know about Savage Worlds, but I understand the spirit of the rules enough mm-hmm. that if I need to, you know, I understand that a plus one is a good bonus. A plus two practically assures success. Right. You know, um, so if I'm handing out bonuses for things like that, I keep those those things in mind. Yeah, bennies should flow. Bennies should flow. There's yeah. just some basic concepts mm-hmm. of how the game works and if you if you're if you if you have to guess at something 
there's only a few mechanics you need to know. So you're probably right if you're guessing. Yeah. Whereas like, and, and I'll, I'll say this, a lot of times when you're looking through D&D trying to find a specific rule on something that a player is doing, you either have to look at their class and then look up something specific after mm -hmm. their class and then reference that against another guide. Um, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing that's all there and now and oftentimes searchable, but that's the type of things that you run into when, when things start feeling daunting. Yeah doesn't feel as acceptable so. and your play will grind to a halt correct so, correct so familiarity is a big thing are you are you able to run the system somewhat somewhat smoothly yes with as few little references to the rule books as possible correct, correct. Um, does your group know the system that's a that's a big thing, but I think it can be overcome. Um, and when we talked about um, who to put in your game, we, we often talk about having a ringer, someone who already knows the system, who's familiar with it, maybe even more familiar than you as the storyteller. Um, but that always helps because now you have someone who will help with those reference points early on uh, and will help you move the, uh, you know, session zero even forward yes absolutely. Um, so those things are always good to have um is the system very different from any other systems they might already be familiar with yeah when uh, we were looking at star wars uh-huh and it had all the different dice 100 percent, my brain started melting oh yes oh yes. i was like oh god this is gonna be so hard to learn and you're like once you read it you're like okay the dice aren't the dice aren't that bad it's definitely a leap but it's, it's not as far of a leap as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, Legend of the Five Rings did the same thing with me. Oh, yeah. Well, it was I can, like there, I can there, see that. There's D12s and D6s, but some of them have swirlies on them, and mm -hmm. some of them have different swirlies on them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> some of them have two different types of swirlies on them, and none of them have numbers. Yeah. And you're like, what is going on? Um, so... It, it, the reason we bring this up is because, like, moving from Savage Worlds to, like, or from, from D&D to Savage Worlds isn't that big of a deal. No, okay. it's, I don't think it is much at all. You're still using your same polyhedral dice. Mm -hmm. um, you're still rolling to hit a target number. Or the target number just happens to always be four in Savage Worlds. Yeah. But, um, but you're still doing that. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, between the two systems. Uh, and so you can use that knowledge you're already standing on to bridge that gap. Yep. Uh, but if it's completely out of left field, this may be another hurdle for you. Yeah. And the last huge big one, are they willing to learn a new system? Yeah. There are some people who are just like, look, I, I work for a living. I have kids. I have, you know, a job. I have concerns and stuff like that. I don't have time to sit down and read a 200-page rule book. Right, right. I mean, sometimes I feel that same way when I end up going to do board games at somebody's house. Mm -hmm. And they pull out a game that has, like, 100 pieces. Like, I have my own card in 12 pieces yeah, that I have to keep track of, and I'm like, and then there's a board that I also have to keep track of, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I literally just finished doing IT. Please don't make me do this, too. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, we talked a little bit about that in our uh, um, RP is board games episode. Yeah. Was it last yeah. week, I think? Um, yeah. Where you run into those situations. Yeah, uh, it does. It's it's so so easy to run into those, and then you're like, oh, okay, well now I've just lost some members of the team that I wanted to have. Or or they'll agree to it, and then they'll just never engage. Right. Because that becomes a barrier for you. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about this uh, a little bit later, but mm -hmm. you know, if not knowing the system means you don't know how to engage with the rules of the story. 
Or the feeling of it. And when you and when you can't engage in a meaningful way, your character begins to feel useless because you don't mm-hmm. know how to use your abilities, et cetera, et cetera. So, yep. you know, learning the system is a big important part of having a group together in you know at the table. Yep. Plus, it's exhausting as a storyteller to have to constantly teach your game. Yep. Yep. So yeah, l- reading <laughs> RTFM is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a. Uh, uh, one of our listeners, Draven, who uh, yeah. uh, posted that meme in our one of our images channels, yeah. Yeah. he was like, uh, you know, for for the holidays, buy your buy your players a book, you know, a, 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 something uh, uh, like a, a gift, like a book they've never read before, like the player's handbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the last component of a good system is support. Absolutely. Do you have some place that you can go to get answers? Do you have other resources? Do you have another storyteller who's talked, who's who's run that game? Mm-hmm. You know, in that in that system, um, those types of things are huge, um, and y- you want to make sure you have that support system in place because you're gonna hit a point within the system that you're confused about. Yeah, it's gonna happen. I mean, especially if it's not D and D. Like D and D, I mean, is there a support system? For, yeah, it's the most widely popular thing. I I I just mentioned earlier that I'm subscribed to several D and D subreddits. Mm-hmm. You know, there are multiple very active, very populated subreddits devoted mm-hmm. to just Dungeons and Dragons. There is, I think, one for Savage Worlds that I've. Uh, I, mean, I want to say there's Savage Worlds. There's the one R slash Savage Worlds uh, or Swade. Um, and I th- want to say there are t- two or three. So I think there's an LFG channel or something yeah. like that. But, yeah. Um... Um, but when it when everything comes right down to it, don't sweat it. Pick you know you're you're gonna probably pick a system that you're comfortable with automatically. Yeah. It just we're saying yeah. don't. Uh, you know, don't don't make it a scientific process to break down the best system for your system, right? And or if, for and your if, game. And if some of these, if you don't meet all of these criteria that we just listed, like again, that's a lot of these are just gut feelings. Mm-hmm. There, this isn't you know a, a mathematical equation to the perfect system. It's just basically like eh, thing, things to look out for, things that could be pitfalls for you. And, and in all honesty, you're gonna fail. We've failed multiple yeah, times. Absolutely. Sometimes you grab a game system and you start running it, and you're like, oh, I don't like this at all. Well, I mean, we always have. The other thing, which is, is that everything is working against you until after that third session. Mm-hmm. Once you get the third session under your belt with those same players, you're doing okay. Yeah, the game will continue. Then you got a campaign. Yeah, yeah. Then it's then, official. Then, then things are rolling. So yeah, <laughs> you know, two sessions. That, that's practically one shot. Like you're, you're not doing anything. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know. Then you get somebody new. That you need three more sessions. Like <laughs> otherwise, things don't roll. <laughs> okay, so let's now get to the story part. Yes, and. Again, story is a soft word in this. We're talking about just kind of getting the groundwork set into place. Exactly. So you've got an idea. You took your idea. You refined it a little bit. Right. And now we're going to turn it into kind of the seed of a plot. Right. We're going to plan. Yes. That's the word here. We're we're talking about planning the story. We, planning. You don't even know who your characters are yet. Correct. Um, so, like, none of you, we, we haven't gotten to the point where we even picked players to nope. sit at your table to nope. explore the story, let alone what characters they're bringing to the to the story. So, you you can't write anything here. Not yeah. not not don't can't. Right. So, what do you make notes on? Well, one of the biggest things we've talked about over and over and over again because it helps speak to how you're presenting things is you need to have a genre. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to explain in a rudimentary way to your players and yourself, how this is supposed to feel. Right, right. Is you this know? a horror story? Is this an adventure, pulp action, contemporary fantasy mystery? Yeah. 
high fantasy. It, all of those tend to have a um, a very clearly uh, visual and or um, presentable uh, feeling for both your players and how th- uh, for them to be able to act within it and have their characters be within it. I mean, obviously, if you're doing a pulpy story, you're thinking about, you know, uh, what's what's the term like gumshoey kind of people where yeah, they sure. they have a lot of character mm-hmm. and the world is very black and white you yeah. know where the gray people you know who in, who are involved are your femme fatales and your you know your 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 shadowy figures who smoke cigarettes in the alley and give you information because you're not sure who they were I always think of pulp action is like is like our world with the contrast turned up mm-hmm. um. Where your your brights are a little brighter, your darks are a little darker, your action is a little actionier, and yeah. uh, the um, the reality filter has been turned down. Yeah. So a little little more a little more movie esque style uh, um, action can take yeah. place and, and such of that. Death is very meaningful, mm-hmm. and a, a lot more ends up in chases and and people getting away and mystery. Yeah. Whereas horror has a very different feel. Sure. It is a lot of you're running mm-hmm. <laughs> or you're dealing with something in a terrible way. I think the most important thing, though, is to not only pick the genre, but like think of one or two other existing properties that your your potential players might know. Yeah. That you can be like, yeah, it's kind of like The Expanse or it's kind of like Cyberpunk 2077 or it's kind of like Aliens. Aliens, you yeah. know, that they we're kind of going with that. You know, it's like, I'm not, we're not planning on having this be a comedy romp. Right. Now, me saying, like, contemporary fantasy mystery to you is going to be like, okay, I understood all those words individually, but what are you talking about? And if I say, it's like Dresden Files, you'd be like, oh, okay, okay. okay. so like a wizard detective. Yes, like a wizard detective. Are we talking, like, Buffy, kind of? Okay, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Yeah. contemporary fantasy mystery, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's, It's modern day. There's vampires. There's mystery afoot. Sure. Sure. Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, uh, I'm working on my 7C thing. I could say piracy, but that really doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And it's heroic high seas. Okay. All right. It's going to be like Pirates of the Caribbean. Ah, ah gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So now, so now we know how things... There's going to be a lot of swashbuckling and a lot of heroic talents, but, you know, it's not going to be, you know... Uh, very historically accurate, nor is it going to be uh, campy, you know. So, the stepping from that, now that you know where what genre you're sitting in, what are your players? What role do they play in this world? Where do they sit? Right. Are they at the bottom of the food chain? Are they in the middle of the food chain? You know. Are they someone who's brought in to handle something? Are they the experts? You know, all those kind of people who sit in like we we talk. I I, I bring around the uh, the scope of like a high school. Okay, like are your players the students only, and and they're dealing with the the political environment of the school. Mm-hmm. You know, or are they <laughs> the janitors that have to clean up after the chaos of you know? magic school <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you know um this is this is one of those parts where um i often find new storytellers have a stumbling block because um 
I think I've mentioned it before, where uh, we we hear uh, yes and a mm-hmm. lot, be a fan of your players a lot, and stuff like that. And um, new storytellers, new dungeon masters think that that means you can't say no to your players. That is not true. And they take it so far that in this step, they don't put any limits on what their characters can be. Yep. And then they run into problems when somebody wants to bring some weird homebrew monstrosity that doesn't fit with their story. And then they're like, how do I deal with that? And like, just tell them no. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. I, uh, there was a Reddit thread even just today that I was reading that was like, how would you feel if your dungeon master told you that you couldn't play one of the races in the player's handbook? And overwhelmingly, the responses were like, fine. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Like what's what's the big deal? Yeah, it's really story dependent. Like, yeah. did did your mom say yes all the time? And right. now now you're troubled by this. Like I'm I'm confused. You know. So um, defining the role of your players in your story is uh, important because it sets expectations for what type of characters they're going to be making, mm-hmm. and that I find like at least for me as a player. Mm-hmm. That's a great source of inspiration. When a storyteller comes to me and says, I'm running a game, you guys are going to be playing these types of characters. You're going to be playing asteroid miners caught in the middle of a political upheaval. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're asteroid miners. Right, right. But, I mean, always have a secondary skill. You know, I mean, you're not always going to be asteroid miners. Like, like political upheaval is the operative term here. Right. So there's gonna you're not going to be asteroid miners the whole time. You're yeah. going to get caught up in like a rebellion sort of thing. So yeah, maybe you're a maybe you were a ship's mechanic and now you this is all you do is you work with the with the asteroid miners. Right. Maybe maybe you were in, you know, the the, the demolitions crew for the for the asteroids of like, you know, setting small charges to yeah. put cracks in them to split the asteroids in certain ways and now that makes you a bomb expert in the revolution, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like you can do a lot of cool stuff with this, but when you when your storyteller comes to you and says, like, this is the type of characters we're going to be making, mm-hmm. for me, that's when my brain starts. Yeah, and that's – you want to hand that dish of creativity over. Right, right. Like, the worst thing a storyteller can do for me is be like, we're going to be playing cyberpunk. Okay. What – like, what's the story? It's, yeah. it's going to be cyberpunk. Okay. All right. What? I mean, uh, what's? I mean, is it just like core cyberpunk, or is it like, oh, it's my my own homebrew world? Okay, great. Now I have even less of a setting. You know, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's a sandbox. You can make anything. Yeah, great. I'll, or I'll make it work. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make it work. I'll figure a hook for you. And it's yeah. like, no, no. Or the hook is, you're all in this place. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Um, my character's motivation is leave the place. You know, like, <laughs> exactly, I'm, exactly. I'm going home, guys. Exactly. So, and that kind of brings us up to what do your play? What will the players do with the story? Yes. Like, okay, I, I know who I am, but what direction? Like, what? Why is this a direction for my role, exactly. my character in this world? So, your asteroid miners caught in political revolution or you know, in political upheaval. Like, are you going to join the rebellion to fight for freedom? Mm-hmm. Are you going to maybe side with the existing political powers, one of them, or something like that? You know, mm-hmm. um, is your guild of mercenaries going to be the ones that the king chooses to fight the dragon? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, are 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 you magic students at a at a magic school? Mm-hmm. And that, does this mean that you're going to be the students who discover an evil that's been brewing in the faculty, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, have not only a role, but a purpose for your characters in the story. Right. And it, this kind of later, we'll, we'll say this, is that 
this is what also can be expressed to your character, your players as they're starting to come up with their characters is even if it's something that's going to happen within session zero, you kind of want to give them that purpose and kind of drive them in a direction when you're talking about the world um, to them, when you're presenting the, the, the idea and such to them. Um, so that you can hand them again, another piece of creativity to kind of let their mind tickle in a direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of then presents the fact that you are not writing a story. You are writing momentum and an event. Yes. You are literally just saying... A set of circumstances. A set of circumstances. So the players are literally saying, okay, I see the set of circumstances that are being penned here. And I see my role within it. Right. I can imagine the adventure path in front of me. Correct. A possible adventure path in front of me based upon the group that I'm running with. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I'd like to join that. Exactly. Exactly. So in many ways, it's like a trailer. You're you're helping to present them with a trailer. You're showing them all of the people involved, what the situation is, and the possibility of the whatever's happening. So that's what you're doing. You're presenting that momentum that you're, you've got the snowball at the top of the hill and your hand is on it. They know what's going to happen roughly. Nobody knows the full details, but it's going to go down that hill. Mm-hmm. You're not telling them, oh, this is going to go down the hill and into those trees. And you're not writing that whole path for how it's going to explode and then suddenly turn into three smaller. No, no, that, that's for them later. Exactly. You're starting. You, you haven't even gotten players to agree to be yeah. at your table yet. Yeah. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. That's right. Um, so, and and like I was saying earlier, you're writing up to that particular moment of when things are about to happen. Mm-hmm. Events that led to this moment that are part of the story, whether or not their characters are aware of it, the players are aware of it, and that's what's drawing them in. Mm-hmm. They're, the players are drawn by that hook. The characters will be drawn by others as within your session zero. Exactly, exactly. You're trying to inspire your players, not your characters at this correct, point. Correct, correct. And you already talked about not sandboxing. Yeah, yeah. Avoid avoid the sandbox um, when you're when you're you're pitching a game. Avoid the you can do anything. That's not a direction, in my humble opinion. That's a cop out. Especially if your players are new or new to the system or setting, they're not going to understand what they can do. Mm-hmm. They're not going to understand what they should do. And therefore, they won't do anything. They're not going to have that inspiration to like, well, I, you said I can do anything, so I'm going to do this, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and chances are, chances are you as the storyteller don't want them to do that either. No. That's that's a recipe for chaos. Yeah. Um, always, It's always best to give your players a motivation rather than depend on them to motivate themselves. Correct. Correct. Um, unlike cats... <laughs> they will only get into trouble once they're in game. Yes. <laughs> you got to get them there, though. You got to get them there, though. And like cats, they're not going to get in the carrier without a good reason. So, <laughs> speaking not... of which, finding players. <laughs> My cat is very much like me. It's not going to get into the into the carrier without a burrito. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much true. So, um, I don't think we need to dwell too much on this because, honestly, there's a bunch of different ways to do it now. And it is challenging. It's probably one of the most challenging parts if you don't have a regular group. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I've seen I've seen this a handful of times. I, I you and I are both very lucky to have oh, God, a yes. super curated group of players that are all super into our storytelling styles, and we can be basically either of us can go. I'm running, wah, 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 and it doesn't even matter if we you know what what would we say at that point. We'll find four to five players. We will four five have four to five players, probably there. more, but with with bells on. Yeah. Um, but. There's a lot of people who don't have those that that level of of gaming privilege, I suppose. You know, that, yeah, that's that, a good way of putting it. And they, I, they, they live in an environment where they don't have a lot of gamers around them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they may be remote. They may yeah. be you know in a rural environment where like their next neighbor is a mile down the road. Yeah, it's you know you don't have a lot of people to choose from. You're not going to go through the phone book and ask people, "Hi, would you like to play my game?" So, if you're if you're still looking for players, you know, that's totally understandable. Like, I, I, we understand we're speaking from a place of privilege when we say, "Oh yeah, curate your group." Um, but uh, there are solutions to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned online um, there are sometimes LFG subreddits mm-hmm. yep. uh, that LFG stands for looking for group, mm-hmm. um, and typically those games will take place online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either through like uh, a, a dedicated virtual tabletop like mm-hmm. uh, Foundry VTT, yep, um, or through an online tabletop like uh, Roll Twenty. Yep, Roll Twenty is a good example. And or I think even... Roll Twenty has its own like huge LFG forum. It does. It does. Um, you can actually like post your game publicly, Fully. and people will just sign up for it. Yeah, I'm a GM. I'm running it on these nights. Sign up, and people sign up. Yeah. So uh, those are some other solutions for you. Um, also, your FLGS, your friendly local gaming store. Yes. Um, a lot of those will still have post boards of yeah. advertising games looking for players. Yep, yep. And uh, I've actually heard, and I was looking this up, was that uh, some LFGs do speed GMing nights where you can go in oh, and a whole bunch of GMs are there and you have five minutes as a storyteller to talk to new players one-on-one. Excellent. To get to know who plays and who's in the area. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's a neat idea. I never thought about that as a whole, but it only for you, you sit down in front of them for five minutes. You get to know the kind of stories they write, they're in the kind of uh, um, settings that they run in, and systems that they run, and what they currently got going. And it gives you that access so that when you look up at the board, you're like, "Oh, I remember this guy. He's running a game in two weeks. I'm interested in joining that." Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, just the one thing to keep in mind, though, is that with LFG posts and stuff like that, um, I'm sure the speed the speed storyteller thing sounds great for yeah. for, for for weeding some of these things out. But um, I also uh, listen to like DM horror stories and such like that, and some of these are from like random players. They're they're grab bags. I'm not saying yeah. random players are bad. No, I'm saying random players are random. Random. And sometimes they mesh with you and you make a great new friend Mm -hmm. and I'm so happy for you. And sometimes they're the person who destroys your game. And so just be careful. Don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to set boundaries. Throw your Mm -hmm. X cards. If a player's not working out, excuse them from your game. Yep. That's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. Save the table. Yes. (laughs) Save save the table. Save your sanity, man. Life is too short. Yeah. Life yeah, is too short to put up it. with some jerk who's screwing with you. There are more people out there. Yes. So, um, so now we get to pitching it. Mm-hmm. And this is this is where things can sometimes get heavy. I've, I've seen some pitches that are practically novels onto themselves. 
Um, and and I've seen some I'm where it's like already. three lines. It's like we're uh-huh. playing D and D. It's an adventure module. Um, it like Ravenholm, and that's that's where they leave it. Love it. And you're like, okay, well, that kind of paints the picture. Not always, because you know, then you find out it's not Ravenholm. It's not even about Ravenloft. Ra- no, well, it's Ravenholm. Uh, which is like Ravenloft on another system. Okay. Uh, which is not D and D. Uh, and two, it's you, you start. You don't know what they're actually referring to. You're 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 taking a guess, and that's that's where pitches have to be kind of have to come in two parts. One, you have to be able to have players want to play the story. Yeah. You have it, to get them enthusiastic about it. You it sounds to, so self-evident. It, Really does, but you would be surprised. Uh, the enthusiastic player plus enthusiastic player's unenthusiastic spouse is a combo we've seen way too many times. Yes, way too many times. Um, and uh, so when you get to that point, uh, it's when you present your system and such. Your t- you have to have two combines of it. You have to present it not only as this is the fact of what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is my. This is the system, this is the feeling of the game, and uh, the general direction. And then you have the flavor that goes along with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the trailer, if you will. Sure. Um, which, again, has to be brought down to the scope at which the characters know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that kind of comes in a bunch of different things to make it fit so that when... Those players look at that listing or hear from you directly or sitting, you know, sitting at the bar as you're, as you're describing things. They don't have to sit there for four hours while you talk about all of this thing that you've been crafting in your head. You see, my game takes place in Tamriel, and the Tamriel has nine races. See, starting with the Dunmer, uh, back in the ancient days, there was exactly. an enemy. And yes. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, that's the not the way to present enthusiasm into someone else directly. Now, on the other hand, if you know somebody who's a huge freaking Elder Scrolls fan, you don't have to go into high detail. You can just say, But it's oh, Tamriel, let's go. Yeah, yeah. We're doing this in Tamriel. They're going to ask you, uh, well, what game or what time period? Third Era 415, let's go, gamers! There you go. And, and Sarah's <laughs> selling the story. So that's that's what we're talking about. So boil it down. Get it down to just a treatment. Yep. What so go ahead. Your treatment. What genre? What system? What is the basis for the story? What is the role of the PCs in the story? Yes. I'll say it again. Genre, system, basis. basis for the story, the role of the PCs in the story. So, it'll be a sort of hard sci-fi game inspired by The Expanse. Mm-hmm. Okay, you see how I dropped a known property in there. Or something they could look up. Hard sci-fi, inspired by The Expanse. We'll be using the Alien RPG system because it's light rules and it's stress mechanics, but it won't be set in the Alien universe, so you don't have to worry about being eaten by a xenomorph. The story will be about a political upheaval that happens between a few space superpowers, and the PCs will be asteroid miners caught up in the middle and will have to survive and maybe choose sides and fight for what they think is right. Bravo. Done. Bravo. I've given you the feeling of the game. Mm Mm-hmm. I've given you the system of the game. Mm-hmm. I've told you what modifications I'm making to the system. Yeah. In a in a concise way. Mm-hmm. Um, the basis for the story, mm-hmm. being asteroid miners and the political upheaval, and then what you guys will be doing in that story. 
Yep. Done. So again, genre, system, basis for the story, roles the PCs are playing within that story. Yep. That's it. For me, the next step beyond that, because that's the very, I would say, the black and white pitch yeah. to the player. Now we're kind of pitching the next section of that, which is the description, mm-hmm. which is often um, flavored. And I like to look at it much like um, some other people, and that is the crawl from Star Wars, that opening crawl. It exactly. tells you exactly what the adventure is about. And it's so good at just, like, dropping in... I don't like movies generally that open with text, mm-hmm. but the opening crawl in Star Wars, especially the very first one, New Hope, mm-hmm. um, like is so good at setting the stage and giving you everything you need to know. And then there's just lasers. Yeah. And you're like, oh, cool. We're in it already. Right. You know? And it ha- make it a page or less. Make sure that it has the setting. Mm-hmm. Make sure it has the obvious, obvious stakes that are involved. And then noting what the opposition or challenge that is being presented. Bonus points if it begins with the words, in a world. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, you know, if you want something that's not Star Wars, uh, original Dune, the narrative for the opening of Dune, if you've ever seen that cinema. The David I, Lynch one? Uh, yeah. Uh, with uh, the uh, princess mm. of the known universe. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Her description of everything. She She basically presents the world. And the powers and what's going on. And again, that's it's a perfect example of a, a of a presentation of what's going on to get you into the story. Now there's a lot going on in Dune beyond that. Sure. But the basis of the adventure is right there. Mm-hmm. The players may not know their likes or dislikes until after they're even past session zero. Sure. Sure. We all learn. That's okay. That's absolutely okay. Um, do your best to address your players' concerns mm-hmm. at that point. Um, you know, if if you can if you can help them enjoy the game better uh, once they're at the table, then cool. If you can mm-hmm. make some changes and stuff like that, but sometimes they're just gonna agree to play a game that might not be a good fit for them. I've done it. Yeah, you've done it. Definitely We've done both it. Walked away from games because it was mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm just not enjoying this. Yep, exactly. And that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Well, again, life's too short to continue doing something you're not enjoying. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. A- apologize to the group. Thank them for their for their time and their efforts. And part ways amicably, you know, doesn't need to be drama. Um, and it's not the end of the world if it happens to you as a storyteller. If a player walks away, um, get a new player. Yeah. You know? Pull somebody else. I'm find, sure there'll find, be somebody. Find somebody else. Find a way to write that other character out. Yep. Write that other character in and boom, continue Keep with rolling. the story. You know? That's right. So... We have some good questions. I would like to get through these. We really have some good questions. You want to start? Uh, sure. We'll start with uh, the Mad Elf. Okay. Um, and I'm going to jump to his question. Sure. Um, and that is, for someone who has not developed a consistent player group, what are the things you suggest looking for to have the group or groups you want to play? Oh, wow. Um. So, I think first... I, I look for people who are fans of the genre because mm-hmm. uh, I think that's probably the strongest element. Mm-hmm. Like I have players in my curated group, several players that do not like horror. Correct. I will never be able to run Call of Cthulhu. I will never be able to run Dread. I will never run Alien. Sad trombone, womp womp. Um, but 
that's just that's just my gaming group. Mm-hmm. You know, I do know that a lot of my characters like pulpy action adventure. Yes, I know there are several game systems I can always run for these groups, and it'll be like ringing the door, but you know, ringing the dinner bell at Pavlov's yes. place. Yes, um, and so I think knowing knowing the genres your players are going to enjoy gives you at least a pool of game systems and a pool of stories you can tell. Yes. And you can curate a game group off of that. Yeah. I think the other is um, the level of uh, availability that your players have is yes. another thing you need to look at. Oh, that's a huge thing. especially. But it's connecting it. that availability to you as the storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're gung-ho and you want to run it weekly, but you've got players who are definitely not going to be able to meet that standard, even bi-weekly or monthly, mm-hmm. you know... They're probably not going to be a very good fit for the game. Yeah. It's going to feel very inconsistent. It's going to be a harder job for you to keep pulling them in and out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I know some groups too that are like, uh, if we have three players, we're playing. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine having players dropping in and out of your story constantly just because somebody had a babysitting issue or somebody yeah. had to work late or yeah, somebody's just tired. Yeah, you know. Yeah. There, there feels to us. It feels more like you're, you're less of you're scheduling a party that you're hosting, and more like you're having, uh, you know, Taco Tuesday or Thirsty Thursdays. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, depending on your gameplay and how many hours you're devoting, that you're finishing a session every time. Yeah, I mean, it might running, work. If you're doing something a little more episodic, you could do that. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure. Um, I, neither of us tend to run episodic. We tend to run epic campaigns. Yeah. So. but I mean, like Mouse Guard. The way we play our mouse guard feels like it could be finished, and you could easily do that. I could see it. Yeah. I could see mouse guard happening like that. Yeah. Yep. But again, it's it, it really comes down to the conciseness of the stories and getting everybody there and behind it so that you wrap it up so that you could do something like that. But again, consistency is a good thing, and making sure your players are all on that same availability curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's enthusiasm, consistency, and creativity. You're going to get two of those. <laughs> okay. okay. Maybe not even okay. session to session. Sure, sure, sure. But if you can get two of those out of sure. your player, I think you're good. Yes. Yes, I think so too. I think so too. You know, if somebody's really enthusiastic and exceptionally creative, but you only see them about one session out of three, you might accept that. Because <laughs> when they're there, man, they're, they're on. And, and that's, that's yeah. half the, it makes the story. Yeah. On the other hand, if you have somebody who's exceptionally consistent, and is very creative, but they're not really enthusiastic about the world. That's kind of a mainstay. Mm-hmm. You can help them with that enthusiasm. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Overwatch asks. Uh, it's a long. Uh, it's a long way between a good idea and a fully functional campaign. Very true. Is there a recurring hurdle or friction point you find yourself struggling with whenever trying to make a, take a great concept and turn it into a game? Yes. I yes. make things that are too complex. <laughs> I 100% for page one, I write too much way early on. I give make these detailed worlds with these complex characters. And my issue is, is that it doesn't translate well for every person who encounters them. Mm-hmm. Like, I sometimes I'll tell you about a uh, something I've watched, like a s- series or something, and I'll be like, "Oh my god, this character is amazing!" And you have this history, and you you're picking up these things from him, and blah 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 blah. And you just look at me with this blank stare, like, "How are you getting this out of Gravity Falls?" Right, 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 right. <laughs> like because I have a different lens that I'm looking at it with, mm-hmm. and because of that, there's a there's this subtle expectation in my mind that my players will, mm-hmm. and 
I make that mistake every time. I just, I go too far. I go way too far. And I have to dial myself back to, that's great for history for me. Yeah. The event is what's important and stepping from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah. Does it exactly. fit the genre? And and conversely, how does that translate into the tabletop game? Like in your when you are writing a show or a book, getting the history of that character and stuff that across is very important. But mm-hmm. when you're at the tabletop, like are you telling our story or are you telling that character's story? Exactly. Like I love your games, but I don't want to sit here and listen to an NPC's story for four hours. Exactly. I want to tell the story. I'm the player character, you know? Yep, exactly. And and that's what it comes back to when we were talking about, um, is the world about the player's actions yeah. and changing it? Or is the world happening and they're reacting to it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, is there is the setting, you know, Germany, World War Two? You are all civilians surviving in this particular town, which is being beset on one side by French troops, and the Germans are defend are, are currently trying to overtake it for a second time. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I know exactly who I am. You know, yeah, <laughs> like oh, this I'm, is gonna suck. I'm I'm also not changing the fact that the war is here. Like, Correct. That, that's just happening. Right. You know? You're you're not gonna fix this battle, kind of a thing. Uh, for for me, my my major hurdle is um the part where the players have a role in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's, is hard. It's, it's not necessarily that I write too much. It's that I, I'm, I'm good at writing circumstances, mm-hmm. but then sometimes it's, it's that, that transition of like, how are the players going to, are intended to interact with this, with this story and, and make changes to it, mm-hmm. you know? And when those changes happen, when players use their agency and affect the world around them, mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, oh, wait, no, this isn't what I imagined in my head, you know? Now I have to shift gears. Now I have to shift gears. And that's that's my big thing is, is I'm, I'm very good at writing the setup, but very bad at allowing that setup to be interacted with. And to have impact. And, yeah, to, and to have impact. Like, I literally choked when, in my game, you guys pulled an NPC back from a hard... Point, hard stop, hard, hard point, move, yeah, hard move in the game, and yep. I was like, I have to figure that out. Yeah. Um. So for me, it was very much like, God, what do I do now? And so now I have to make that meaningful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh. So let's see here. Hulavu asks. Uh, I often struggle with actually writing down the story. Uh, I find myself writing um, for in a nonlinear way. Instead of writing A to B to C, I write A to Q to C. <laughs> Most of the time, this is okay, but sometimes you just have to write a section you're not really into. I.e., if your players are showing up in a few hours and you have to uh, have to have a story ready. So, what are some strategies for actually force yourself to write a good story? And I have one very simple answer for that: Don't write a story. Stop writing. Stop writing a story. Stop writing the story. Um, the, the, the best, uh, the best advice, uh, I have ever taken, received and implemented is don't write plots, write situations. Yes. Um, for me, like, especially, especially with this move to Savage Worlds, Mm -hmm. um, for me came kind of a lot of a new, a lot of new philosophy of how to run the game. Yeah. Because I feel like it, it, it opened up the game for me, not playing D and D anymore. So I didn't have to think of things as as combat encounters anymore Mm -hmm. i could think of people as people and situations as situations um 
So now when I write, I write situations. X has happened. Y person is feeling some kind of way about it Mm -hmm. and is reacting to that situation. And then the PCs enter. Yep. Okay. Now, we haven't told the PCs how to feel about the situation, whether X or Y was the correct party or not, um, or what to do about it. Nope. So... Uh, you're just unleashing your players onto this situation. Yep. Now, what you need to know is not how the story progresses. Mm-hmm. What you need to know is how does X move when when pressured in a certain way? How does Y move when pressured in a certain way? Those being your NPCs. If the players come to NPC Y with diplomacy, will they react favorably? If they come at them aggressively and try to attack them, will they bring in the army or whatever, you know, just knowing how your pieces will react when pushed upon in certain different ways allows you to make that story fluid without having to write the story. You don't need to know what happens. Let, let the dice and the players determine what happens. Right. But know what to do when the, when those pieces or when those playing pieces are acted upon. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, the, that's. That's a great way of putting it. It's the always have your NPCs should always have something they're doing currently and a drive. Mm-hmm. The drive may change, but that direction of that drive is what's giving them a, that vector, if you will. Yes. Um, yes. So that you never have to question it. The vector may shift if they get other information. Like if they don't know something and that's the reason why they're moving in a direction. You know, you you have a particular hero. Mm-hmm. You know, who may be misguided, uh, but he's an NPC who is who is trying to thwart the PCs because he's doing the legally right thing. The problem is he doesn't realize that the PCs have additional information mm-hmm. and that they're actually trying to stop something larger, but they don't have the time or luxury to l- stop and tell him yeah. something. Yeah. So instead, maybe they just ignore him. Maybe they constantly consider him a thorn inside, or maybe they leave him breadcrumbs of information to get, and that changes who he is, changes his vector. And that's what what's interesting about stories is, is that you can come up with the exact same setting as like Les Mis mm-hmm. or, uh, or um, Titus Andronicus or or The Tempest, or any number of other stories where the story opens with a situation and your players will come up with a different way to do it. Yeah, exactly. That changes the entire story. Exactly. And I, I think, um, you know, finding finding the, the interesting ways in which your characters are going to approach the story is is half the fun. Yeah. You know, not plotting things out ahead of time. Yeah. Just throwing a bunch of puzzle pieces in front of them and going, what are they going to build out of this? Yep. You know, you you already know how those puzzle pieces fit together mm-hmm. because you've plotted out your NPCs' motivations. Yeah. You know what their goals are and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know how they'll react when the PCs, you know, move certain pieces certain places. But, yeah, watch handing them a box of toys and just watching them build things like Legos is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. That that is that is a great way. I've and... told you several times that like I we're running your personal plot right now mm-hmm. in in my tabletop game, and uh, I've told you several times I'm like you could literally have taken Meridia's beacon and just said no screw this and chucked it out into the woods. Yeah, and I'd have been like okay, 
Yeah. And that wouldn't have ruined anything for me. Nope. Or you you could just follow it and see what's going on. You could you could take the the Dawnbreaker, the sword that you you know, the magic sword that you got mm-hmm. and chuck it out into the woods and say, I don't accept this mm-hmm. and go back home. Yep. And it wouldn't change a damn thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always interesting to present a situation and see where it goes when you have the mind frame that you don't even know what's next. Mm-hmm. I've had more times than not where I've done that and I've had way more comfort. Yeah. Then here's the situation. Oh crap. They're doing something completely different that I'm unprepared for. And I really don't want to happen. That's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Is when you don't want it to happen and you're like, and your expectations are lost, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think the one that got me watching someone was seeing uh, Matt Mercer, and I don't know when in the season, but it was the ship incident. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where, in uh, Campaign 2. Yep. Where the players literally took care of an entire ship by beaching it. And he had clearly planned in his head... That there was an entire encounter involving that ship. Two clerics with control water, and one of the abilities for control water is to create a tidal wave with it. And they just did. And they just swept that ship up into the rocks in with one spell. Yeah. Yep. And you could see in his face that he made the blunder of preparing. Mm-hmm. Um and and not preparing motivations, but he did the right thing of saying, Well, that's that's the that's the show, you know. I I'm gonna have to come back at this, mm-hmm. and they're all like, you know, and he takes his papers unceremoniously and drops them off the table, like, <laughs> whelp. But um. I like, and and I and I think like, I I empathize with Matt on that, but at the same time, like, that's man, you gotta you, you gotta, gotta let plan. that happen. You gotta you gotta roll with that. You gotta let that happen. Like, and he did. He handled it with their power, their, their agency, and stuff like that. Like he he got a little salty. Just he got a, a tiny, little tiny little sprinkle of salt. But it's good. That's right. good to see. A, yeah. A, a, as another storyteller, it's good to see those moments and recognize that it happens. It was humanizing. Yeah. It, to yeah. everyone. Yeah. That it's raw. It's obvious. It's gonna happen. Right. And I assure you that other stories, you will see that. Oh yeah. Yeah, the one I keep coming back to is uh, Prince Molagvar, mm-hmm. um, where I had this big boss battle whipped up, and I had uh, this... a standard your standard tomb battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know that the, the, the ancient the ancient undead prince rises from his tomb with his two uh, with his two uh, cronies, uh, yeah. cronies, his uh, retainers is the word I'm looking yeah. for, and uh, yeah, three three rounds he lasted three rounds. Yeah, uh, eighteen a, seconds. A heat metal spell undid him. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, he was just he was just at disadvantage because he was wearing heavy armor, and that's it. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Yeah, and the and you you sit through those moments as a storyteller, and you're like, do I make it worse next time? And you just have to accept the fact that they won. Yeah, they won. Move on. They're happy. They beat the dragon. They're they, happy. They, they, they did they whatever. Yeah. His ass. They feel good about it. Yeah. All right. And you know what? Focus on that. Yeah. Love your, it up. Your players are happy. Yep. Yep. Your players are happy. Yep. So. Uh, so What's our, next week? Next week, uh, second Wednesday of the month, we are doing a system spotlight. So this week, we are talking about stars without number. We are venturing back into space. Yes. 
so you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us upon our Discord. You can find the link to our Discord on our Twitter, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon named members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, and Hulavu, and the rest of our Patreon members who support us and help us with this show every single time. Our pre-show music was by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for Thank loving you. and supporting us these, uh, all these uh, years that we've been doing this now. Years. We can say years. Uh, for all of our friends who've sat with us at our table over the years to share these great stories with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.